just this, um, this series, and this is an introduction to a new series we're doing called In His Image. And the two main talks really uh, that reflect what this is about will occur over the Sundays ahead. So this coming Sunday, next Sunday, the 26th, Ken Shelley from Christchurch will be joining us. That's next Sunday. And Ken, if you've heard him before, I know some of you have, Ken is an outstanding teacher. He really is. And he's going to be focusing more on kind of gender debate that's going on these days, a gender confusion debate, I guess I'd call it. And uh, he's very good on ethics as well, just very good on scripture. And so that's next Sunday morning. Uh, so come. And if you know of other folks who would benefit from this, then bring them along. It'll be, a, I think it'll be an excellent time from an excellent anointed teacher. Then in the afternoon, uh, if you want to go further and go a bit uh, deeper into the subject, then Kim will be doing a kind of a Q&A seminar type teaching session as well for those who would like to. It's not for everybody, but if you'd like to go further, then 2 p.m. in the church offices next Sunday afternoon. And then a few Sundays after that, on the 9th of September, we have the other talk from our own uh, Lawrence Collingborn. And uh, Lawrence has done outstanding research over the years, actually, uh, on the end of life kind of choice, build the debate, the euthanasia debate. Uh, Lawrence is outstanding when it comes to ethics, I find, just really clear, very strong. And uh, I'm looking forward to Lawrence doing a talk in the morning on that. And then again in the afternoon, if you like to go further, go out to go deeper. There's only so much we can cover on a Sunday in the morning. Uh, but if you want to go further, 2 p.m. in the offices. So just put that in your diary if you'd like to do that. So um, really it's important that we uh, look at these things. And I guess behind these two talks and this series is a growing concern that I think many of us share, don't we? You know, uh, that our society is getting more and more confused. And uh, confused around some really fundamental questions like, what are we? You know, what are we as people, as humans? I mean, are we still male and female? Or are we somehow, there are other options in the mix there? Apparently, according to a recent Australian survey, there are now 33 different genders in Australia that you can claim. 30, I thought there were just two. But no, there are 33, apparently. And it's all coming down to what would you like your gender to be? What would your choice be? It's coming down to choice. What do you feel like being? And so old foundations are shifting and being overturned. And then besides this confusion of what are we is the confusion of who are we? Who are we? According to a growing number of people, we are those who should legally be entitled to hold life and death in our own hands. You know, I mean, it used to be in the old days, we just wanted to keep each other alive. Uh, now, not so much. Now there are choices at work again, and we're getting closer and closer to legalizing the whole euthanasia uh, concept and idea. And so these things are hitting at the roots of who we are. So major foundations are shifting, and we don't know where it's going, but it's moving very fast. And... Uh, which is why we want to start talking about this more as a church, because these discussions will be going on in your office, in your school, or among your families. And the point is, God has a view on these things. He has a view. And we just need to know what that view is and where to find it. Uh, the other day I was over in uh, helping Sam, actually. He was trying to install a, a kitchen in his house. 
And so he kind of sent away for his kitchen, and it's all down in packs, packs of, of cupboards and other things. And, and so I thought I'd go over and kind of help him put some of the packs together for his kitchen. And so I go over there, and Sam's already started. You know, cupboards are being built, these flat packs, cupboards inside. He started building these things. He's already done two or three. I arrive, and I think, great, I have to go. A flat pack, a cupboard in there somewhere. I think, how difficult can it be? So I empty this flat pack out on the floor and there's hinges and screws and, and sides and top and bottom. And I'm thinking, great, let's go for it. So I'm going straight into it. And it's not long before I realized that I was totally confused. I was stuck. And the problem was, was that Sam is watching me and I'm dad. So I should know how to do this. Because I'm a hangover from his childhood. So I, I go for it again and I'm just working away at it. And then it gets really awkward because I look at him who's looking at me. And I know that he knows that I don't know what to do. <laughs> but I won't give up, so I'm carrying on still. And then in the end, I had to just humble myself and go back to the instructions. And folks, if there's one thing that our society needs to do, it's to have the humility to go back to the original instructions. And so this morning, to kick the series off, I thought it would be good to go back to the Bible, the instructions, and look at the basic question again of, who are we from God's perspective? All right, so that's where I want to go with you this morning. So let's do that. Let's go right back to the start and draw out a few really obvious foundational points. Forgive me for being oversimplistic, but it's critical in a time of confusion. So if we go back to Genesis 1, all right, you can't go further back than Genesis, the first chapter, and God says this. It says, Then God said, <coughs> Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Father, these words we know so well, and yet in our society we do not know them at all. Father, I pray, even as we look at this passage again, please, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, speak deep into our hearts your great perspective on your creation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. First obvious thing, number one, we have someone who made us. Just want to be clear on that. All right, we didn't arrive by accident. We're not a coincidence of chemicals. No, God said, let us make mankind. And I love that word, us, because it speaks of the whole Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit involved. Wonderful. The whole Godhead creating us. We have a maker, and that means we have one who is above us, who made us according to his own instructions. That's the first really obvious point. Number two, the second is this. According to Genesis 1, we are the high point of God's creation. That's true chronologically even. If you think about the six days of creation, all right, God creates things in, in, a, in, a, in a process. All right, so he creates light, let there be light. There's sun, moon, and stars. There's land, seas, vegetation, and animals. And then just once everything is in place and the scene is set, the stage is set, it's let us make mankind. 
And mankind is unique because God goes on to say, let us make mankind in our image. All right, so that's an interesting phrase. It's repeated again and again, almost like God wants to get us, get it right into our heads in his image. What does it mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but whatever else it means, surely it means this, that God has put things in us that up till then uniquely belong to him. And supremely, I put it to you, he's given us the gift of self-consciousness or self-awareness, self-consciousness. Now, he has it perfectly, but he's given it to us. And uh, it's a strange thing because we don't even think about it. We take it for granted. But actually, it's a gift, and it's what makes you different from any of the other animals in all creation. It's that, it's that part deep down in you that is aware, I am a person. I am a person. I have purpose. I have meaning. I have dreams. I can step outside of myself and ask, what am I here for? What's the point? It's that ability to take that step back and look at ourselves and say, I am a person. That's self-consciousness. Animals don't have that, all right? Uh, they can't think abstractly about themselves. Look, however smart or cute your goldfish is, all right, as he sits in his goldfish bowl every day, let me tell you, he is not thinking, is this it then? Is there more to life than this? I have dreams. I have aims. What's the point of my life? No, your goldfish isn't thinking that, all right? Just to put you at ease if you thought he might be. No, the slug that you're about to step on isn't thinking, but I'm a person. He's not. All right, scientists are very clear. There is no personhood there, no self-awareness. The tree that you walk past on your way to your office isn't thinking, I wish I could do that. I wish I could walk like he, he does. All right, tree doesn't do that. Point is, he's not a person. Even your cat, Fluffy, all right, if there's any cat owners out there, look, I'm really sorry to break it to you. You say, no, 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 you don't understand, Pete. My cat, Fluffy, I tell him everything, and he understands. No, he doesn't understand, all right? Sorry to crush a few toes here. No, he doesn't. Science has proven animals react to external stimulus, whether it's food or affection. Wonderful things animals are, but they're not people. No, just to, I, I need to make that point. If you, no, but how dare you say that about my cat? He's a person. No, he, no, he's not. He's an animal. Yeah, but he can. No, he can't. No, he can't. He can't think what he'd like to do in two months' time. He's not thinking, I'd like to go on holiday. I don't want to go to the Kicker Kennels again. No, I want to go Hawaii. Your animal isn't thinking that way. It doesn't think abstractly. No, self-awareness is an attribute of God and has been given to mankind and it was gifted in the garden at the very start so that we could connect with God as a person as a relationship. I, I love that beautiful picture, you know, when God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It's a beautiful picture of intimacy, of deep relationship. We are persons like him. It's one of the key things that make us like God. Of course, another meaning for this phrase in his image carries, it carries this, we are made to represent God. Going back to that, just look what it says. Let us make mankind 
in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and so on. In other words, our calling was always to rule over the earth under God, all right, as his image bearers, as his representatives, and that's a very high calling and responsibility. And look closely again at verse, the 27th verse there at the bottom. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Isn't that interesting that this image is represented by both male and female? It's not just male on his own. It's not male and female merging somehow. It's not 33 different kinds of male and female. It's together reflecting and representing God on the earth. Hallelujah. Ruling unto him. What an, what an astonishing thing a human being is. It's lovely seeing that little baby, Minnie and Nat's little one right there. So lovely to see you guys. And this lovely little girl in the Carey household. Wonderfully formed, little life, little human being. What a wonderful creation a human being is. Now, of course, we know the story. Sin came in and destroyed so much of that image. We lost our relationship with God. We turned against each other. We became proud, greedy, violent, vengeful. That's what sin does. But need to be aware, sin didn't totally destroy the image. All right, so in Genesis chapter 9, way after when sin came in, it says this, God says this, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made mankind. In other words, even though we have fallen in sin, we still carry something of the image of God. And God's really saying here is because of that, don't harm each other. He's saying treasure each other. Because you carry my image. And that means this, that whatever a person's belief system, <clears throat> whatever their religion, whatever their worldview, whatever their background, whatever their age, whether they are in the womb or out, that life is precious because it carries the image of God. The life is precious. Folks, we still carry his image. Now, it's badly tarnished and it's broken by sin, but it's still there. In fact, it reminds me a little bit of this. There you go. It's an old, sprawling house in Ireland, a mansion. But if you look closely at the mansion, you'll see that it's broken down. It's overgrown. There's no glass in the windows. There's no doors in the door frames. No one's in there. Apparently, there was a third story on top of it, but that's gone. It's a broken down place. The building is gone. And, uh, and in a sense, it's a little bit like us. But even in its ruined state, actually, it's still impressive as a structure. I look at that and I think, wow, that's quite a building. And, and also it's impressive because it still carries an echo of what it once was. I look at that and I think, man, in its heyday, that must have been an amazing mansion with that third story on an amazing building. In other words, it still carries the image. And that's true of humanity too. Sin has defaced and ruined us in so many ways. Just need to look at the TV. Just looking at the TV again the other night, I thought, man, there is such misery out there and such sadness and such innocent lives being lost and traumatized. There is such filth out there and kids being preyed on. 
But, you know, there is still something in us which somehow speaks of what we once were as image bearers of God. That's why you just need to look at history, look at art, the great art and the, and the, and the paintings and the architecture, wonderful displays of creativity, the breakthroughs in science and the fact that we can send people to space. That's impressive. <laughs> That's impressive. Look, the image is still there. It's just that it's broken and tarnished by sin. But... Hallelujah. When Jesus came, he came to restore the image. Hallelujah. And so at the cross, he deals with our sin. He takes it upon himself. He takes it from us. And so he opens the way for us to connect with God again. We come alive. You see, you need to understand when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they died spiritually. God said, the day you eat of that fruit, you will surely die and actually, a part of them did. Physically, they would also die too. But right then, in that day, they died. A whole part of their spiritual lives just shut down. They died. It was removed. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Paul doesn't say you were sick in sin. He says you were dead. Spiritually, you were dead because of sin. And then Paul says, But... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Hallelujah. So when we give our lives to Jesus, the Spirit has already come into us and he makes us alive to God. We are born again by the Holy Spirit. Praise God. And hallelujah. It's just like looking at this mansion. You see, as I said earlier, they once had a third story on that building, but it was destroyed. Well, in a sense, that's just like us. Our whole top floor, our spiritual capacity, if you like, was shut down and destroyed by sin. But through Jesus' death on the cross and the work of the Spirit, it's like the top floor has been restored again. Praise God. Your top floor has been restored. We are spiritual beings again. You want to know what a human is? A human under God is a spiritual being. And we are built now to house the Spirit of God and to be filled with His presence. We are built for this. Listen, you have a whole floor in you that you didn't have before. <laughs> you are now made to be filled with God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a wonderful, wonderful privilege. Thank you, Lord. I was thinking as I was praying last night, God, I'm here to be filled by your Holy Spirit. I made that now. I've been redeemed. My third story has been put there again. I am made to receive your presence and nothing less. Trouble is, I guess, is that some of these huge homes and palaces that you see in the UK and other places, I mean, you know, some of these buildings, they've got the room, they've got the floors, but sometimes they're sealed off. They're shut, aren't they? because the family's shrunk and it's really tiny and they live on the ground floor. And so a lot of these buildings have, yeah, they have the floor, but it's closed down, it's shut down. And uh, I sometimes think how sad it is when Christians live like that. You know, we have the capacity to experience God so deeply and yet we're content just to leave the floor closed and shut. It's like God's restored it to us, but we just keep it closed. 
And we never go in there. And we just carry on through life regardless. If someone says, do you have the floor? You say, yes, I do. There it is. You can see it from the outside. But we can live our lives as though that floor is empty. And we just cruise through. We clock in our time. We turn up on Sundays. We may put an appearance in Connect Group, maybe give a bit of money in every now and then. But you know you're just clocking in. You're just going through the motions. Meanwhile, you're just paying the bills and getting the kids through school and going for that next job position. And time's going by, and you know you're just clocking the time. I think that's really sad. Look, if that is you, deep down, if that's you, can I just encourage you, open the curtains and let the sun shine in. Let the curtains open. Because the Father is eager and happy to fill you with his Holy Spirit. That's what he put the floor there for. He is happy, happy to fill you with his presence and his power. He's happy to pour out his love into your soul. So don't settle for an empty room. That's my exhortation to you this morning. Don't settle for mediocrity. Don't settle for same old same old. Can I encourage you this morning to open your heart, open the curtains, and let the Spirit come. You are made to be filled, not to remain empty. Amen? Amen. How wonderful. The image of God broken when Adam sinned is now being restored in you, and God is committed to keep restoring you. Romans 8.29 says that God's committed to conforming you to the image of his son. God is committed to shaping you more and more into the image of Jesus. I'm so encouraged by that. It's God who's conforming me. He is shaping me by the things I face, the challenges I face. He is shaping me. My response is, God, you've given me the third floor. Fill it. I want to surrender to you. The beautiful song that Jack was leading us in. I was weeping. I was trying to sing, but I couldn't sing. It was, oh, it put a fire in me. I just surrendered to you. That is a powerful song that is fully in line with the fact that you have a third floor that needs to be filled. Put a fire in my soul. Hallelujah. Folks, what astonishing beings we are. All right? We were created by God. We were created male and female. We were created in his image. We were created to represent him upon the earth and to rule under him. And although sin came in and tarnished the image, Jesus has come to restore it. I don't know what your life is like right now, but if you know your image is very tarnished and your image is crumbling, and you may you come along to church thinking, well, I don't know if there really is a God or not, if he really loves me. Can I just say, open up. He wants to come and restore the image in you and put that floor in place and fill that floor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You already now have a whole new floor restored that you might be filled with his presence, that you might pick up your original call to rule under God. Let me ask you, how do you feel this morning? Do you feel like you're one who rules or are you feeling like one who is ruled over? Ruled over by circumstances or sin or habits or pressure or fear or anxiety or stress? Are you ruled over 
or are you ruling over under God? Because you are called to rule over under him and bring his kingdom in in the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. That's a good deal. Let's stand, shall we? Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord.